for those who know every line, and for those finding Star Wars for the very first time, welcome to Growing Up Skywalker. Welcome to Growing Up Skywalker. My name is Anna. And I'm Sam. Today, well, I guess we should say this week, we're covering Rebel Season 1, Out of Darkness and Empire Day. Empire Day, yeah! (laughs) It's episodes 7 and 8 of Season 1 of Rebels, and we're getting pretty close to the end of the season already. Yeah, these are bite-sized seasons. Also, Empire Day is a cliffhanger, so... Join us next week for figuring out what happens at the end of this one. If we kind of trail off, it's because it just ends with a to be continued. There's no trailing off to be had. This is a heck of a cliffhanger. As a quick note, this episode is recorded in the midst of the SAG-AFTRA slash WGA strike. And we just want to acknowledge that all of the content that we love and have made our hobby out of watching and recapping on this show has come out of the passion and dedication and creativity of writers and actors and creators. We are in support of them. And even though Growing Up Skywalker is not a union podcast, you can help us avoid crossing picket lines by maybe just skipping your rewatch or your watch along of these episodes of Rebels this this week, we're just trying to avoid driving traffic to the entities that are being stricken against. So we hope that we always give you a rich enough plot recap that you can skip the rewatch and consider doing so this week. Solidarity forever. Solidarity forever. But let's start off with Out of Darkness. We open in Out of Darkness on Ezra, Sabine, and Hera trying to outrun a bunch of TIE fighters in the Phantom. That's the small bebe that hooks into the big bebe, which is the ghost. It's like a a really beat up, up up-armored, up-gunned minivan. Yeah! And Hera, as the mom, is the minivan pilot, Uh which is delightful. She does this outrageous maneuver where she shoots the gap between two mountains, and one TIE fighter gets crunched, and then she shoots a bunch of rocks to create a dust storm, and then the other two fighters are blinded, and they smash into each other, and everybody's like, whew! Good thing our mom is the best. However, it wasn't flawless because in one of her high-flying hijinks, she manages to scrape the bottom of the Phantom and is like, oh, and that steering's all off. So It's delightful. It's what my mom used to do. And she's like, I can't believe I almost scratched the minivan. And I'm like, (laughs) Hera, you are so relatable. (laughs) They get back to the ghost. Hera sends the boys, which Mm -hmm. is Chopper, Zeb, and Ezra, to do their chores, which is fixing the scrapes on the underbelly of the Phantom. And also, this little maneuver on Lethal has revealed a tension in the party, Mm -hmm. or at least a tension between Hera and her teenage daughter, Sabine. It seems like the intel that they've been getting recently has been getting them in more trouble than usual, and Hera won't tell Sabine where they're getting it from, and Sabine is like, but I must know more! And she insists on going to meet the person providing the specters with their intel. It's just some mysterious figure named Fulcrum. Which is a code name we've heard before. I did not know that we had heard it before. It is a good name. It's like the thing on which everything hinges, which is 
intelligence. Mm -hmm. Love that for us. However, when Sabine and Hera go off to meet Fulcrum, it turns out that the boys did not finish their chores. Extremely typical of teenage boys. They got in a fight. They skedaddled before the diagnostic could finish. So Hera and Sabine go off on their mission literally oozing fuel out of the bottom of the phantom. Mm -hmm. They land on this abandoned moon. It's very beautiful. It's very deserted. There are big asteroids drifting across the sun every now and then. And they start loading up the crates that Fulcrum left for them. And they're having this long talk about Sabine's major frustration. She feels like she's being left out of the loop. And Hera's like, you need to have faith that there is a bigger plan, a plan bigger than all of us, to take down the Empire. Mm -hmm. And as they're loading the crates, they see that someone or something or some schmonster or some schmonster has dragged the crate away into the abandoned facility on this moon and it's not just abandoned there are shredded starfighters and shuttles inside this hangar on this asteroid moon it's like being inside of a paper shredder but the paper is starfighters <laughs> When they go into the darkness to investigate, they get surrounded. There's a bunch of little black dragons with big yellow eyes that live in there, and they are very fast, and they are very bitey, and they appear to really like shredding starships, and they make that freaky little chittering noise, except they hate the sun. So Hera and Sabine run outside, and the little dragon babies can't hang, except that there's these asteroids drifting across the sun, Every time they make it go dark, they can creep a little bit closer to Hera and Sabine. And as you might recall, the Phantom is leaking fuel, and so escape is not an option. But when the ghost spins down to get them, Hera and Sabine have set up a trap with these big old canisters of Rhydonium that they found. Which you'll recall is the beautiful explosive in the D-Squad arc. Yeah, on Abafar. Mm -hmm. Highly explosive, very fun, right up Sabine's alley. They set up these rings of canisters, and as soon as the sky gets dark and the dragons start coming, they just start taking out wave after wave, and then they egg on the dragons, and then they fall back and blast and then egg on another wave, and then fall back and blast. But the dragons just keep coming. And then finally, Sabine and Hera are back to back on top of the Phantom. They're all out of Rhydonium. And Sabine is like, we're gonna die. And Hera's like, you are not wrong. Mm -hmm. And then out of the sky, the ghost appears like a descending angel. It is shining light across the whole landing bay and the force theme is playing with a million flutes and Ezra and Zeb are there as backup and they kick some dragon butt and they take some dragon names and it's a little spicy and the ghost is swarming with them, but they all get away safely. There's a couple little things that are very fun where Hera electrifies the hull and Kanan's like, I didn't know you could do that. It's like, yeah, there's a lot you don't know about my ship. My ship. As all the... Little monsters fall off. So they escape happily and everything is okay. We've learned a lot of backstory and we've moved along the plot significantly. Yeah. And it ends with Hera telling Sabine, we are not always going to be fighting alone out there. Do you think you can trust me about that? And Sabine is like, I think I can try to trust you about that. Mm -hmm. And that's like pretty good resolution for a fight with your snarky teenage daughter. 
Pretty good. So, what happens in Empire Day? Empire Day! My favorite! I'm so patriotic! So, sitting on the front porch of the ghost, Kanan and Ezra are trying to commune with a Lothcat, which is a little feisty Pokemon-like creature. And Ezra is just in a bad mood. And Kanan's like, bruh, like, what's your dealio? And he's like, it's just a bad day for me. But they have a plan, and what they're going to do is head into towns. So they, they go into a city in Lothal, they walk into a bar, and there's TIE fighters who had zoomed overhead, and there's some TIE pilots there who insist on the Imperial Holonet News propaganda channel being on in the bar. The show comes on, it is revealed that it is Empire Day, and this is exactly 15 years since Order 66, when a new galactic empire was founded. And Ezra storms off, but... During this transmission, it's interrupted by rogue Senator Gal Travis, who you'll recall from a previous episode, who's like, I urge all citizens to boycott Empire Day celebrations. And the Spectres are like, hey, you know, this is, this all works for us. So while Ezra is sneaking off and doing stuff, they have a plan. They go to the Empire Day Parade. The upbeat Imperial March is playing. The worst parade in galactic history, but it does have some fabulous theme music. Well, it's got fabulous theme music and it's got like walkers and tanks and everything. Where driving. is the bunting? Where is the confetti? Where is the band? Minister Tua, who you'll recall uh, was trying to illegally smuggle disruptors, is giving a speech on the behalf of the absent Governor Price, who got to party with the Emperor. Applause, please. Whoop, whoop. And she is unveiling that Lethal is creating a new type of Thai starfighter, which is going to be flown by Lethal's own son, Valen Rudor. And Kanan and Hera are like, wow, it's so pretty. What a shame we have to blow it up. <laughs> what a shame. <laughs> so Sabine has altered some grenades to be fireworks and starts her own one woman plus one Zeb fireworks show. She's Amazing. like, pull fire, pull fire. And everyone's excited because there's a fireworks show. Kanan sneaks off and sets explosives on the TIE fighter and then stumbles back. He's pretending to be like a drunk dad. And Ezra's <laughs> like, Dad, I'm sorry, officer. He's so patriotic. He just loves colors and Empire Day. And Kanan's like, go, Empire. We love oppression. Now, importantly, behind this, everyone has been watching as every Imperial is looking for a specific Rodian who Ezra seems to recognize. So... The TIE fighter explodes, carnage ensues, everyone's running. However, there were a few Imperial reinforcements that the Spectres hadn't counted on. One was Alexander Callus, ISB agent, and the other was the Grand Inquisitor who stride out of the explosion looking for who caused it. So the Spectres are running away, they're causing a ruckus, Zeb has to split off because he's too big to climb through the vents, but the rest of them climb through the vents and they make their way to Ezra's old house mm. because Ezra's parents had been freedom fighters who had been playing a radio station from a secret basement but at the bottom of the secret basement they do find Sibo the Rodian who is who they're looking for and he's crying at the bottom of the bunker my heart also his brain has been chipped yeah he's had these cybernetic circuits installed in his spinal cord to boost his productivity as a data technician which is deeply disturbing to me as someone who's of data technician age <laughs> so 
sitting there in the condemned former Bridger residence, they learn that Sibo has a huge amount of information in his head. He basically downloaded the whole database and is ready to WikiLeaks it. And they're like, <laughs> uh, okay, we need to get this guy out of here. They manage to escape and eventually acquire one of those Imperial transports and are driving along the highway, probably the same highway from the pilot, but right behind them is another tank being driven by ISB agent Callus, who climbs aboard and jumps on top and starts attacking them. So there's this crazy knockout drag down fight on top of speeding tanks, and the good guys manage to climb up and escape onto the ghost, which has landed. However, as they're escaping, the Grand Inquisitor flying another copy of that sweet new TIE fighter, which is a TIE V1 for those keeping track at home, <laughs> and is flying after them. And as we're getting shot to pieces, we cut to Sibo getting some sense knocked into him as Ezra falls on him. And Sibo says, Sibo knows where Ezra's parents are. And then, da-da-da, to be continued. So some, it's, it's funny how some of these episodes like start off with the good guys being chased by TIE fighters. And this is one of them where the episode ends with the good guys being chased by TIE fighters. It's really, <laughs> a, really just a circular life. It's, what a beautiful bookend. <laughs> So one of the most important things that we did not talk about is that everyone figures out in Empire Day that Ezra was born on the original Empire Day and everybody missed his birthday. Okay, yes. This is his birthday. I feel like he doesn't love it. Here's the things related to Empire Day. Ezra is exactly 15 years old on this Empire Day, which means he was born the day of Order 66. He was probably born as Sheev Palpatine was doing his big speech to the Galactic Senate. He was. And also on a previous Empire Day, when Ezra was, I believe, seven years old is when his parents were taken away. Oh my gosh, yeah. So do you want to start with Ezra's tragic backstory? Well, what do we know about Ezra's tragic backstory so far? We know just enough for it to be absolutely heartbreaking. The Empire took his parents away eight years ago, probably to the day, which means he's been on his own since he was seven. Yeah, yeah. And as he's like wandering around at one point when he's off like grouching about and escaping from the crew and they're like, yeah, you're a rogue with like double move speed and a screwball stealth score. We can't catch you if you choose to run away. He goes back to his his space needle outside space Topeka and he's like <laughs> sitting there and he hears his parents voice and they're saying, you have to help those in need. And he says, oh, I know where Sibo is. So we, if I recall correctly, have talked a little bit about this force skill. I think when we met Quinlan Voss in the Zero the Hut arc. Mm, the force skill of, um, oh, it's like psycho psychometry. Yeah. Psychometry. Where you can touch something and see where something is happening. So I was interested if Ezra picked up this old data transmission, this old flash drive from his parents, and was imagining that he was hearing their voices, or if he was actually tuning into the Force and having some kind of psychometry, Quinlan Voss connection. I feel it's more that he is tuning into his empathy, because that seems to be the force theme of this episode. When we start off with the Lothcats that Kanan's like, just open your mind to the cat and it'll be your friend. And is that like, what that was, a Lothcat? Yeah. And Ezra's like, I'll take your lightsaber and open this thing right up. And, it, and Kanan's Jeez. like, shut up. Like, 
come on. What's there will be you? no harming of cats in this yeah. episode. But this empathy, this opening up is also what Kanan is saying because there's a little bit of tension in between Sibo and Ezra. Yeah, you're right. Because Sibo, after Ezra's parents were taken, presumably was like a family friend. And Sibo goes and starts working for the Empire. And so how does Ezra feel about a former family friend working for the Empire? I think we know there's a real disdain in Ezra's voice when he's he, – so he's telling a little bit about his backstory to all of the specters that are in his house. He's like, my parents were undergrad broadcasters. They got taken away. And then Sibo went and went to work for the Empire. And there's yeah. this – contempt in that mm -hmm. and he's keeping a real distance from SIBO and for me I don't know that it was empathy that was the main theme that I picked up on I picked up on there are walls that Ezra has constructed around himself to keep himself safe yeah and Kanan is giving him a lesson in being vulnerable and Ezra is not willing to do that yet and so he's not able to tap into his full force powers I think Ezra is doing it, but he's also learning it. And when it comes home in a situation like this, like this is a family friend who went to work for the empire and the same empire that took my parents away. It's like, this is a new expanse for him to explore in forgiveness, in empathy. Hmm. I feel like he has an easier time of it with the ghosts or with the specters and with everyone else. Like it's, it's becoming easier for him, but when it hits home like this, it's difficult. Hmm. Do you want to talk about the cybernetics thing? Because like Empire Day was truly an indictment of capitalism that I was not expecting today. Yeah, the cybernetics. So this is not the first time in universe or our universe, the prime universe, that we've seen that type of cybernetics. That thing came out in 19... 82, 81, 80, with Empire Strikes Back, where Lando Calrissian's assistant Lobot has a brain cybernetic enhancement. Oh, no way. And in some of the Legends works, we learned that it's a similar type of thing where the Empire went in and is like, how would you like to have a perfect memory, the ability to access and do math in your head and all we ask in exchange is your entire personality yeah that was the thing okay so if someone came to me and was like anna how would you like to have a perfect memory and be able to get into a flow state and get all of your work done super fast i'd be like bet sign me up mm -hmm. do you think they even disclose that it wipes out your personality i think that this is where it comes back to that indictment of capitalism consent is a line which moves back and forth based off of available information. Going back to Adam Smith writing in the 1700s about the invisible hand of the free market, the first half of that sentence is given equal access to information. Mm. And the way that these types of decisions are inflicted upon people with an emotional, spiritual, or even physical violence is with lack of information. Mm. The lack of information is come take a job also it's illegal to camp it's illegal to harvest food it's illegal to dumpster dive you cannot live unless you are part of civilization mm. so there is a carrot and a stick that we have installed and you might not be aware of all of the ramifications of your choices and you might have a lot fewer choices than you think yeah and so if we're talking about consent 
is contingent upon perfect information. I think the empire is flagrantly an example of a place where there is deeply imperfect information in Mm -hmm. that no one knows that their emperor is a Sith Lord. No one knows when and where the empire might choose to exert its will because it is above and beyond the law. It makes everyone else follow its laws, but it is not beholden to those same laws. And so you can't consent to anything as a citizen of the empire because you don't know what you're consenting to. It could change at any moment. In fact, that is lampshaded in the very beginning of this episode. So the TIE pilots fly overhead and they land at the bar. The ghosts, the specters are like, what is going on at the bar? So they go in and there's a bunch of drunk TIE fighter pilots who are like, you are mandated by law to turn on propaganda news. Yeah. Well, what they first ask is, how come the propaganda news is not on the bartender's like, no one's asked for it um, ever. (laughs) (laughs) And they're like, you have to turn it on. It's the law. And he's like, fine, I'll turn it on. And then Gal Travis interrupts and they're like, turn it off. He's like, I can't. It's It's the the law. law. Which is like that level of snark is probably within the realms of these TIE fighters who get a slap on the wrist if they kill them. Yeah. Yeah. But this very haphazard, like your opinions are mandated, like there, you can watch whatever TV you like as long as it's fake news, is really dark for creating an information space. Because part of the equal access to information problem is that you can both sides things. You can say, yes, we do bad stuff, but our opponents eat babies. And then your opponents are like, yo, we don't eat babies. No one eats babies. And you're like, but you've been credibly accused of eating babies. And this is how the the insanity of fascism arises is this both sidesism of saying, well, everyone's doing it, which means that we can move forward and, and be blameless. I also noticed some even subtler propaganda techniques in what is what is the Empire State TV called? Uh, Holonet News. Holonet News. So one of the things that they showed was a clip of Sheev Palpatine addressing the Senate or whatever in Mm -hmm. celebration of Empire Day. And they definitely used footage of him before he was ravaged by force lightning. (laughs) And that is a technique that tyrants use. That's why people like Vladimir Putin release beauty shots of them Mm -hmm. riding horses and looking muscular, doing the butterfly in in an icy Russian river, right? It's to portray this image of them as absolutely incorruptible and impregnable and perfect in a way, young and healthy and strong and the courageous leader of their realm. Uh, Hitler always had the same pictures of him, like airbrushed because it was the 30s from when he was 20 years younger because he died a relatively old man. You know, he he was born in the 1890s, 1880s. Um, So he was in his 50s or 60s. And Joseph Stalin had his smallpox scars airbrushed out, as well as his political enemies. And then, like, Donald Trump had his height increased and his weight decreased so he wasn't obese. Mm -hmm. Like, people just lie about that kind of stuff all the time to seem healthier because, especially for the masculine image, it is one of virility. It is one of health. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, Emperor Palpatine lying about his Sith scars is right up the – Write up the fascist playbook. Yeah. I mean, it's textbook because Star Wars knows what they're doing with rebels. They mm-hmm. are painting a more and more and more detailed picture of 
of tyranny yeah. to just impress on us how terrible the empire is. I know I was saying all this season, like, wow, I really love all these details about how terrible the empire is. And for some reason, the cybernetics were the last straw. I was like, oh, no, 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 no. I don't want any more details about how bad the empire is. This is too much. It has crossed the line. I am no longer having fun. The difficulty with that physicality of consent in a workplace is is brutal. And I think it comes on the heels of like a deeper understanding of the damage you have over time. Because we've known forever that like, oh, hey, if you're a soldier, you go to war, you might come back with fewer limbs. Or you might get turned into someone like Echo. Well, yeah, in the Star Wars universe or... You might ha- lose your hearing. You might lose your eyesight. Oh, you, you were talking about the real world? I was talking about the oh, real Oh, I was talking world. about yeah. Star Wars. Sorry. Yeah. Well, <laughs> talking about uh, some of the work that you've done with like how long haul truckers are really likely to lose their hearing. They are. Yeah. I work in uh, sustainable transportation. And so one of the big pushes for electric freight trucks to become a thing is that they're so quiet that the 25 to 35% of long haul truckers who are career truckers that lose their hearing because of their diesel engines would no longer be a thing. And so losing your hearing, do you think that's something they tell you at trucker school? No. And every every career path has one of these like, oh my gosh, this is why when people are like, oh yeah, such and such sports star gets like $100 million. I'm like, yeah, but they only get to work three years and they're going to get 10 concussions. Yeah. Like, if you made me work out every day for 12 hours for and gave me three concussions over three years, I'd be like, yeah, pay me $100 million and I'll take that. Commercial salmon fishers have to work three or four months out of the year. They make bukus of money. And there is a massive amount of cancer in those communities because of the diesel particulates that come out of the back end of their fishing vessels, right? Mm-hmm. You're totally right. Every job has a catch. But The thing is that what the Empire is doing without consent is wiping out personalities. And someone's mind should be the thing that never gets to be broached. Like, for me, the mind is sacred. Yes. And people do that anyway through indoctrination. Right, 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 right. No one should be allowed to influence the way that you think about things with malicious intent or intent to manipulate you. And this is such a flagrant example of that. And it drove me up the wall. I don't think it's even malicious. I think it's just understood that, hey, we need some brains who can do some stuff. If you're willing to give up your personality for a decent paycheck, come on down. Unless there was no consent to be had, in which case this is the deepest form of callousness and contempt for sentient life. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm big on. I'm, yeah, no. I'm fired up about this because like the way that you treat your interns is the correct barometer with which to judge a company. And mm-hmm. the, and being a data tech is already the worst job in the whole world. <laughs> it's already soul sucking. And like imagine not having a personality on top of that. Yeah. Yeah. Horrible. And I think they just want something that's a little less mischievous than a droid. Ugh. I can't. I can't. I can't hang. Yeah. Well, that's the point of these jobs is to bring people down. (sighs) Well, I've got a little bit more character growth here because that was a lot on Ezra and on what's going on in the Empire. Turning that into what's going on with Sabine and the Empire in the first episode out of Darkness. Okay, let's definitely talk about the cool ladies of this arc. 
So in Out of Darkness, Sabine has a big bee in her Sabine bonnet about... Her Sabonet. Her Sabonet. Sabinet. Her Sabinet. Sabine. So about her just not being in the loop. And we learn that she was at the Imperial Academy, and that is not a lie that she told Minister Tua. And that is why she left when she learned that she was going to be up to no good. As soon as she learned enough information to leave... She left, and it might not even been that. It's that they wouldn't tell her what she was up to. They yeah. were telling her, do this. And she says, why? And they're like, don't ask questions. And she's like, this is no longer working for me. She is extremely strident and setting good boundaries with Hera and Kanan about this, which I think is why Hera doesn't really put up a fight for her to join. But Hera is like, this is compartmentalized information. Yeah, there is a lot of fascinating dynamics going on with Hera and Sabine. First of all, I have been starving for Sabine backstory and someone threw me a morsel this week. And uh-huh. I was like, thank you for this morsel. Please more. <laughs> if you give an Anna a muffin, she's going to want so much backstory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So she was at the Imperial Academy on Mandalore. So we do know that she came by her Mandalorian armor righteously. It didn't work out because she is a free thinker and, Mm -hmm. like all millennials, wants to know why you want her to do things. She does have deep millennial energy. She has, like, mid-generation millennial energy, and I appreciate that about her. If she's, like, 17 in this and this episode came out in 2014, that means she was born in, like, 1997, which kind of vibes. Oh, man, she's younger than I am. (laughs) Yeah. She's a better shot too. She's a way better <laughs> shot. She's a, I mean she she put on a one woman fireworks show. Yeah. Impressive. But yeah, she is at most 17 years old. And it's interesting that she relates to Hera much more as an equal than even someone like Ezra does who's 2 years younger than her. Yeah. And I there was something interesting. There's good characterization here that establishes Sabine as more of a free agent than anybody else on the ghost. It feels like Ezra is there because he was a desperately lonely kid in need of training and parenting and love. Mm-hmm. And Zeb is there because he literally has nowhere else to go. And Chopper just goes wherever Hera goes. Yeah. And Hera and Kanan are in love. So everyone has a reason to be there. But Sabine almost feels more like a freelancer. She does, yeah. She's like, I choose to be here. But all of a sudden, like, what you're paying me in terms of information is not enough. Yeah, she really needs to have her own calibrated moral compass. And I think that is why Hera turns it into a question of trust. Because Hera says, in not so many words, this is compartmentalized information, which means the fewer of us know it, the better. I don't think you will crack under torture. I just think things happen. Well, I think Hera and Kanan know about force manipulation, right? The Jedi, it was established in the Clone Wars, the Jedi have a precedent of using the force to tease out information from someone's brain. And we saw Reva do it in Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yeah. And so Kanan's like, look, just keep, don't even tell me, you know, because mm. I'm, especially after the 22 pickup, now that Kanan is out in the open as a rogue Jedi, like they're really gunning for him. And they're going to be like, oh, ignore Hera, go after the Jedi. And Hera, she's just the pilot. And Hera's like, I actually am the 
one who knows everything. I'm so. the brains behind the operation. I'm the brains behind the operation. So. Cool, yeah, sacrificial husband. But, um, oh, no. <laughs> but Sabine has this trust issue. I think the concept of compartmentalized information, Sabine's like, okay, I'm fine with that. The problem is I don't trust you enough. Mm. Like right now, I cannot be gaslit in this situation. How long do you think Sabine has been with the Spectres? You know, it's a great question. At least like three months, but... (laughs) (laughs) At least long enough to be established enough that Ezra was the new guy. With some slight non-spoilers, she did have a stint doing something else in between the Imperial Academy and joining the Spectres. Oh, wow. So she got out early. Yeah. She was young. Yeah. Interesting. So she's... She's covered some ground. She's learned some things. And most importantly, I think she just, she might be feeling something in the winds shifting here now that Ezra has arrived. And I think that's because Kanan was always like, hey, we are sticking it to the Empire, but we're also lovable scoundrels. We're just causing a ruckus. We're getting paid. But now that they have this contact fulcrum. And this isn't Visago, who's like, hey, you know, business is just business. Deeply amoral mobster Mm -hmm. figure. Which, like, is someone you can trust to always do what's right by them. But now they're working with fulcrum, who has a secret logo. Really? uh What's the logo? I could tell you, but it'd be a spoiler. Oh, man. If you didn't catch it, you didn't catch it. Oh, man. But the... uh, now that they're working for a cause and in the opening shootout, they're talking about how dangerous it is. I think Sabine is like, if we're doing something, if we're bringing the ire of an inquisitor and of an ISB agent, things have escalated enough that I need to be in, like, I need to trust that we're doing the right thing and we're not just messing around. And particularly not that we're going to get backstabbed. Yeah. And it it never came across as selfish, right? It no. never came across that Sabine is looking out for her own back and saying, if we're going to be in all this danger, you need to tell me why it's worth it. But it seems like she's at this point where she doesn't trust that what they're doing is big enough. Or if it's big enough that the Inquisitor and Callus are coming after them, I wonder if she's thinking, if you just let me in on this, I would be a force multiplier for what you're trying to do. Like, mm-hmm. like put me in, coach. Yeah, yeah. She does have the skills because she is, she really puts those Mandalorian skills to use as they're running away from the monsters. She's like, yeah, I'll just <laughs> set up an explosive minefield. And Tara's like, oh dear, <laughs> yeah. I guess that's a plan. I'm going with your thing because I'm a space pilot and you are scary with a blaster. No, it's amazing. It's fascinating that anyone lets Kanan plan anything when Sabine is right there. <laughs> Like, the the girl thinks on her feet. That was amazing. She thinks on her feet. I think that perhaps, and this goes back to your earlier question of how long Sabine has been with them, perhaps she is transitioning from being, like, mischievous explosive child into scheming rebel woman. Or, like, proto-general. Yes. And as she's moving along that, she's like, okay, well, I was hanging with mom and dad. And now dad has like a new kid who he's teaching the secrets that I can't learn. So I need to go to Hera to be like, okay, what are you doing? And Hera's like, I'm doing like secret squirrel rebel stuff. And Sabine's like, I would like to be in on secret squirrel rebel stuff. And what's interesting about all the conversations in this episode between Hera and Sabine is that 
it is within the bounds of respect. It is as if Sabine is like, I'm coming to you as an adult. And mm-hmm. it might be for one of the first times that she's actually done that, that she's been like adult to adult, specter to specter. I need to be in on this. And you know, if you like, if you give me five minutes, I definitely will still graffiti explosives on the things, but like, that's the fun and everyone gets to have a little fun. I'm ready to be a full member of this crew now. Mm, that's a really good observation. And what's interesting is that like that shows that Zeb and Ezra and Chopper are not. Oh, they definitely are not. They cannot be trusted to run a diagnostic on mom's minivan. That's because Chopper breaks everything. This one's Chopper's fault. That is, no, it simply is not. You have to finish the job you were assigned. Chopper purged Ezra while he was in the ducks with like gases. That actually is so gross. (laughs) Was that like mystified poop? I don't think it was poop, but I think it was like <laughs> it was life support stuff. Yeah, it was probably like it was probably like uh, air conditioner gas. I or mean, something. it was like shaking the air filter in someone's face. Yes. It was very rude. It was extremely rude. Ugh, Chopper. Yeah, Chopper has not won my affection yet. <laughs> he always has my affection. Oh no, <laughs> I love Chopper because he breaks stuff. Chopper, Chopper has a, a kill count, you know already. Yeah, he blew up some TIE fighters. and He did a little whoop whoop. Yeah. It was very cute. Do you want to talk a little bit about Hera? Because Hera and Sabine intersected a lot in Out of Darkness, but Hera also had some moments that were just distinctly about her. About her and about her relationship with the Spectres and about her relationship with Kanan. Yeah. So this episode of Out of Darkness had the most lines of dialogue for Hera so far in anything we've seen for her. And yep. I was just curious, what do you think this episode revealed about her character? Oh, it revealed a lot. So part of it is um, as she's flying a minor scrape, she's like, something is wrong with my ship and it's her ship. And Ezra's like, I'd like to learn how to fly. And Hera's like, you're not ready to fly my ship. <laughs> and She's got these things. She's got this ownership of the ship, which goes back to who she was in the Bad Batch and that she is a a pilot. She is someone who wanted desperately to be a pilot and Mm -hmm. wasn't allowed. And now that she is a grown woman who can do whatever she wants, she's like, no, this is my destiny. Yeah. And then when she circles back and when they land after the first initial flight, she's like, yeah, I scraped the ship and Kane's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're taking responsibility for something. And she's like, well, I wouldn't have had to do it if your intel hadn't been bad. And Kane says, I knew this is going to be my fault somehow. And I think that's a wonderful example of their relationship, which is that Hera knows she's great and she knows she's great enough to like take accountability for things but also she has this like joshing relationship we're like hey we're we're actually in a very dangerous situation all the time so like the more we can make fun of it the better but oh my gosh the self-confidence the one of her first lines in out of darkness is there isn't a pilot in the imperial fleet that can outfly me and i was like yes girl yeah own that yeah yeah and Sure enough. I mean, she's pulling Anakin Skywalker stuff, making TIE fighters crash into each other through dust clouds. It's it's fantastic. She's a great fl- 
A great fighter pilot. Great pilot. She's a great, she's an outstanding pilot. I also feel like the voice actor really hammed up the momness of mm-hmm. all of her lines. Just like, boys, go do your chores. Yeah. Just with the hand on the hip. And then at the end of that episode, she's like, okay, run the diagnostic again. I'm like, we'll never mess up again. And she's like, I know. Like, <laughs> I know. Especially because now they have dealt with what the consequences are. Because at the end of Out of Darkness, even Ezra has got a monster to his throat because he goes down to try to help and he gets overwhelmed because he's trying to show off for Sabine. So the uh, everyone's very invested with Hera. And this was her being like, I tell you the things I tell you because I need to. Yeah, there's so much strength in her characterization. Mm-hmm. I think that's so beautiful because whenever there is a a really capable mom in media, yeah. for some reason, everything about Hera reminded me of Elastigirl from The Incredibles. The same thing. Yeah. Just like super mom, yeah. superhero and super mom. And I like that Rebels is so far balancing both of those beautifully because I think that's very true to modern day moms Mm -hmm. they do have to be everything and do everything well and i think it's just very respectful characterization that Hera's ability to be empathetic and compassionate and loving and provide support to the kiddos and kanan and herself is equally counterbalanced with her ability to be the best pilot in the galaxy And she doesn't have to sacrifice either of those. No, she really does have it all. And part of that is like her chosen profession. Like she gets, she's like, yeah, I want to have the family and I'm going to do that by not having any biological kids. I'm going to straight up pick up scamps and orphans and we're going to stick it to the empire. I'm going to, I'm going to form a terrorist family. Yeah. So I get to keep flying. So I will say, actually, the idea that women can have it all is a pernicious lie oh, yeah. that is perpetuated by patriarchy. Women should not have to work so hard and always be the people that are keeping everything running. And mm-hmm. if they don't want a family, they shouldn't have to have a family. But because this is such a light children's show, it does seem like Hera is living exactly the life that she wants. And that is feminist. It is, and I think it contrasts, interestingly, with what Kanan's up to. Ooh. Because Kanan is having a hard time training Ezra. He's doing better, and we're seeing little tiny bits and bobs of it. But he's, as he's training Ezra to talk to this Lothcat at the beginning of it, he's like, I don't, like, I can't teach you this stuff. Like, I can tell you what to do, but I can't get inside your head and make you do it. I can't really train anyone. Hera, on the other hand, is like, yeah, I'll train you how to fly my ship. When you're ready. And I'll train you how to compartmentalize information. And you can have trust in me that we're actually part of a big deal here. We're doing something. And that's Mm. very cool, too, because that is what Out of Darkness moves the plot along with. Besides Sabine's backstory, besides carrying on the relationship between Sabine and Hera, it's moving along that the ghost crew is part of something larger. Mm Mm-hmm. I wonder if it's just that Hera has a different way of relating to people than Kanan does. Because this is, I think, the first episode where we really see Kanan empathizing with someone. When they get to Ezra's parents' old house, he finally looks at Ezra and everything clicks. Mm -hmm. And he's like, how are you doing, bud? 
Are yeah. you okay? Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of thing that Hera does so naturally. But it's the first time that Kanan has does it has done it. He definitely didn't do it with Zeb when Zeb was wrestling with flashbacks about his entire species being decimated. But speaking of that, Zeb is actually so as they're running away from the exploding TIE V1, Zeb has a shot on Agent Callus. And he's like, I've been waiting to wrap things up with Agent Callus. And Kanan says, shoot that guy instead. The Inquisitor. Shoot the Inquisitor. And he misses, but I think they would rather have the Inquisitor after them than Callus because the Inquisitor is going to, I think that's a, a moment of self-sacrifice for Kanan. But that also, because the Spectre is going toe-to-toe with the Inquisitor means that the Inquisitor is going to take away Kanan and Ezra. If they go toe-to-toe with Callus. Callus is going to take apart the rebels. Ooh, or specifically go after Zeb first. Yeah, and then Hera, and then Sabine, and then the rest of the rebels, because he's a cop. And the Grand Inquisitor is just a wannabe Sith. Well, I will say, the Inquisitor, as he's chasing after the Spectres, did not apparently believe that this was a situation that required him running, which was so scary. (laughs) as scary as watching him run after Kanan and Ezra. Mm -hmm. Just horrifying. So everyone moved along a bit, but Kanan and Zeb, I think, had a more powerful relationship now. I think that now they do recognize the importance of those disruptors. And Zeb has probably already taken the step that Sabine takes in Out of Darkness, which is, I'm all in. With hmm. with the specters, I'm all in. I'll put my personal stuff aside unless it just happens to line up. Yeah. So thinking a little bit about Kanan and Ezra, because that is another beating heart of mm-hmm. this arc. Kanan has a really interesting language choice during the lesson with the Loth cat, mm-hmm. which side note, I love that there's a cat in this episode. That's so fun. But the language that he is using to train Ezra is basically saying, you are not alone. In the galaxy, you are connected to every living thing in the universe and around you. But to realize that, you have to be willing to attach to others. Mm -hmm. And I thought the use of the word attach was so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder if that relates to sort of this Jedi idea of non-attachment in that, like, if you're attached to everything, you're attached to nothing. Hmm. And that's like a whole openness which is the strength of the jedi like being preferentially attached is the problem i just thought it was interesting because he could have said you have to be willing to connect with others but he said attach to others and for me it just pinged in my brain as something that i thought would have been counter to jedi training but i'm I'm hearing what you're saying about if you are just equally connected with everything you have more perspective than mm-hmm. just being attached to one thing and the other bit of that is that kanan was very young when order 66 happened he was a padawan he was a padawan and now he has not had any training and perhaps he's sat here with what he has learned and been like hey yo i'm like married i'm doing good work across the galaxy i'm freeing slaves I'm sticking it to the Empire. I'm fighting dark side force users. Maybe 
the concepts of Jedi celibacy of like being part of a temple, maybe that's not what being a Jedi is all about. Maybe what being a Jedi is all about is your connections with others, your attachments to others is being part of something. Mm -hmm. And perhaps he recognizes that in Ezra, because recall in one of the previous episodes, Ezra is part of Lothal. Yeah, we when when he rescues the uh, Sumar. Sumar. I keep wanting him to call him Sumac. Yeah, Farmer Sumac. That's his wife. Sumac okay, and Sumar. Right. Sumac and Sumar. Very cute. Yeah, and I think because Ezra keeps popping up and seeing old family friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's enmeshed with Lethal. And that is the type of thing which a Jedi being separate wouldn't be able to do, but someone who is connected to a planet would be able to do. And I like that we know that Kanan still believes in the Jedi. Because as he's training Ezra in this episode, he has an amazing line. He says, if you're always trying to protect yourself, you'll never be a Jedi. Yeah. So it's not that he has lost faith in the Jedi Order or what they are or what they can do, but maybe he's been questioning what they stood for. And that's also a reflection, and perhaps this is why Kanan and Hera get along so well, of what Hera says to Ezra in the pilot when he Ezra has to go inside the ship and rescue the rest of them because it's a trap. What does she say exactly? If you're only looking out, out for yourself, if you're only placing value in your own life, then your life has no value. Yeah. Yeah. I am seeing more and more ways that Kanan and Hera have influenced each other. Mm-hmm. And I love that scene when they're debriefing and they're, Kanan brings her a cup of tea and they're talking about one of their narrow escapes from TIE fighters. And it's such a sweet domestic scene. And I just wondered, like, where did Kanan and Hera meet each other? There are comic books related to it. And Kanan was running with some pretty rough customers for a while. Ooh. Yeah. I do not have the comic books or books, so maybe someday I'll read them up. Okay, no no sources were cited on this day, no. but they exist. <laughs> and because this is all taking place during the great canon expurgation, it's like, what is Legends and what is canon in this case? However, this is right when Pablo Hidalgo and Dave Filoni are getting together and they're laying down the law of this is what the characters are. And I think that's what makes... Actually, all of these episodes are really cool. There's there's no lightsabers. It's just a bunch of dudes running around causing a ruckus. And even uh, <laughs> there's a very, very funny scene in Out of Darkness where Hera, before the monster shows up, calls in and says, hey, uh, did you guys finish the diagnostic? <laughs> and Ezra and, and Zeb are like, oh, yeah, um, it says that you might have a fuel leak. <laughs> no, I love that scene because she's like, hey, did you guys finish it? And they're like, yeah, totally. And then she's like, okay, did you check the results? I'll wait. And then radio silence for mm-hmm. two minutes. And they call back and they're like, hey, mom, <laughs> but we done messed up. But then we cut to Kanan meditating in his quarters. <laughs> And we can hear through the wall Ezra and Zeb being like, we got to tell Kanan. Like, oh, my gosh, we're in so much trouble. But we, how do we tell Kanan so we don't get in trouble? It's not our fault. And uh, and then they open the door and they're like, hey, Kanan. He's like, 
I sense that Sabine and Hera are in trouble. I'm like, wow, your Jedi power is like, no, I could hear you through the door. Kanan gets so much physical comedy in these episodes. Mm-hmm. In Empire Day, like, before he knocks out some of the Imperial Guards, he gives them the peace fingers. Oh, my gosh, yes. Um, And just, like, the buffoonery while he's booby-trapping the tie. Yeah. So good. Pretending to be, like, a drunk dad who's impressed by fireworks is fantastic. Oh, so good. Well, since we're talking about how delightful these characters are, is it time for Baywatch? It sure is. It's time for Baywatch. All right. We've had a little bit more exposition. We've had a little bit of plot and we've had a little bit of a cliffhanger. Who is your bay for this week's episode of Growing Up Skywalker? You know, I'm such a sucker. Throw me one morsel. Throw me one bone and you will get on Baywatch. I'm picking Sabine. Wow. Cool. Sabine is my bay this week. I really like how willing the writers are to give her agency and to give her... Not amorality, but kind of like an ambiguity around her character. What's really nice is that at the end of Out of Darkness, she and Hera have gone through a hair-raising adventure. They trusted each other with their lives. They had each other's backs. They made it out. Their bond is strengthened. Mm -hmm. And then Hera comes to her room and says, do you think you can trust me moving forward? And the writers have Sabine say, I think I can try. Mm -hmm. And I love that ambiguity because it's really not the same thing as saying, I trust you. It's saying, I'm going to try to trust you, but I'm going to maintain my ability to be skeptical and to be a critical thinker and just see what the data says. Mm -hmm. It was such a nicely messy way to end that. And it, it wasn't as sugar sweet as I thought it would be. And that's cool. That is very cool. I like that. I also love the fireworks show. I love the Rhydonium ring. I love just Sabine just rocketing around, being totally trustworthy and competent in every scenario she's in. She's just got good stats. High intelligence, high dex. She's good to go. She's got the stats. She's got the work ethic. I'm a Capricorn. I can relate. (laughs) I just love it. So it's going to be Sabine. How about you? Well, Sabine almost made it. But after our discussion, I'm calling it for Hera this episode. Yeah, Mama Hera. And it is just for the moment where she is sitting there and Sabine's like, all right, I'm I'm done asking. I'm now telling. And Hera says, that's fine. I'm not going to compromise my compartmentalized information. And I'm going to like listen to you. I'm going to trust you to keep us alive. But this information is more important than either of us. Mm. And I think if Hera had told Sabine what's up, Sabine would have trusted her less. Ooh. I think Hera did the exact right thing to prove that this is that level of information, that they are doing the right thing. And then furthermore, she's just hilarious. She's like very funny. Yeah, no, she's 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 fabulous in this episode. I think you're right. She proved that she was as strong as Sabine. Because yeah. Sabine seems like a character who will quite easily lose respect for you if she just decides that you are a wuss. And Hera just showed that she has the same level of backbone as Sabine. Mm-hmm. And that's what allows them to treat each other as equals. 
And so I've been, I was listening to some of our old episodes and I was listening to the Mortis arc. And in that one, Anakin has to choose and he's given this choice, like Ahsoka getting ripped apart by a griffin and Anakin or Obi-Wan being ripped apart by an angel. And the father is like, you must choose. And Anakin's like, I choose beating up these monsters. (laughs) I choose both. Both and. I choose to beat up monsters. And that is what Hera does in this as well. She says, my choices are either I tell you or I don't. And the answer she came up with is I show you that it is safe information and it is safe with me and you are safe with me and I am safe with you. She built a network of trust. And that is the way you become a successful terrorist cell. (laughs) (laughs) Trust. Turns out it was about trust all along. Well, it's about these organized linkages of trust that are directional. So compartmentalizing the information means that no one can betray anyone else. And now Sabine is like, okay, if we're playing it that way, we're playing it that way. All Sabine needs to do is trust that Hera is in fact doing the right thing. And Hera needed to show that, and she did. And she also needed to trust that Hera would do the right thing and also not betray these principles to anyone else, and she did. It was about the one-way streams of information that we made along the way. (laughs) (laughs) I can see you holding that joke in. (laughs) It's just waiting for my moment. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Am I your bae? Yes. You're always my bae. That's nice. That wraps us off on a cliffhanger. Where does this cliffhanger end? Fortunately, I think we're going to go over the cliff in (laughs) season one of Rebels, episode nine, Gathering Forces, and episode 10, Path of the Jedi. Wow, that's fun. This means nothing to me. I hope it's good. I would have to remember what they're up to, but I do remember Out of Darkness, if only because it's... um, First of all, it's Cribbed from Pitch Black, which is a fantastic movie. And also (laughs) it's, you know, Out of Darkness is a Joseph Campbell novel. So it's got these wonderful science fiction tropes. So we've got good stuff coming ahead. I'm very impressed with season one of Rebels so far and really excited to keep moving on with it. Yay! So follow along with us as we move through season one of Rebels. You can follow us on social media. We are Growing Up Skywalker on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter X. Twixer. Twixer. We're we're sending out Zeets <laughs> <laughs> and threads where we're pulling threads. Jeez. Louise. Social media in the year of our Lord 2023 is so gotta, weird. Yeah. If you want a job doing our social media, hit us up. You can have it. Can Please have take it. it. I don't I'm not having fun anymore. <laughs> you can also find us on Patreon where we are releasing bonus audio content every week. A lot of times we do leftovers on what we're watching, stuff that's just like a little bit too spicy. Or it's like the the shower thoughts or um the French have a word for it, which is like the down the stairs thoughts. Yup, yup. That's that's what a lot of this is. We're like, oh man, I should have said that. So if you want that, you can become one of our monthly members on the Patreon. Monthly memberships of the lowest tier, which is just three dollars a month, gets you access to our two-year backlog of audio content and everything moving forward. And unlike social media, that is fun. It is so much fun. I love our Patreon. 
So join us next week and send this episode to someone who is coming into their own as an adult, as a terrorist, as an artist, as an explosives expert, as a crack shot, as an ace pilot. Send it to Sabine. Just send this episode to (laughs) Sabine. Send our love. And we'll see you next Tuesday. Bye-bye.